Okay, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. If you would, please. If, you, if your Bible has a paragraph heading, it probably says something related to divorce. <clears throat> and it's probably because this section is talking about divorce. It, it, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's an issue that uh, we, we all have probably very strong feelings about, very strong opinions about. Uh, it is something that is highly emotional uh, for many different reasons. Um, to, to a large extent, your, your, your view of divorce is probably formed and fashioned on how, the, how you grew up, your tradition, your church tradition, what your church taught or what your church believed growing up. And um, uh, just, to, just to know that there are, uh, there are different views within the church related to divorce. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about those this morning. But it's going to be important for us to understand that this, these, these, are, these are very uh, sensitive. Um, it, this is a very sensitive issue, and regardless of where you come down on it, uh, we need to make sure that we, that we treat each other with grace and understanding and, uh, and give space, I guess, for differing Opinions and views. Uh, obviously, we we all reading from the same text, uh, but as you can see, I think that there are going to be there's going to be some issues that, quite frankly, are are difficult to really nail down. Uh, and so I will give you uh, my view based on what I consider to be based on the text that we have: Matthew, uh, Mark, t- uh, Mark 10, Matthew 19, Matthew 5, and 1 Corinthians 7 are the primary texts that really deal with this issue of divorce. And, 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 and when we come to this issue, there are usually two tendencies. Actually, these are two tendencies that we have anytime we interpret Scripture. And the one is to kind of lower the biblical standards. You know, we, that's what the Pharisees did. You know, they, they reduced adultery, for instance, to the, to the, as long as I don't commit the actual act itself, I'm okay. And what did Jesus say? No. If, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So Jesus was raising the standard back up. So they, we have a tendency, especially if it's our sin, to lower, lower the biblical standard. Um, we don't want to do that. On the other hand, we, want to, we don't want to do the opposite either. We don't want to go beyond what the scripture teaches either. I mean, isn't that the real challenge that we have in any, any interpretive endeavor? When it comes to the Bible, we don't want to become more restrictive than what the Bible says, but neither do we want to certainly uh, lower uh, the biblical standards. Now, we won't be able to address all the issues, you know, all the questions. Um, so we'll so just keep that in mind. We're just going to deal with Mark chapter 10, a little bit in Matthew 19. And uh, and again, the purpose of, of this this morning is not to deal with all the all the intricacies, I guess you could say, uh, of divorce. Uh, let, let me give you a couple. Let me give you three case studies, two of which I was personally involved in, with, and the names are changed to protect those involved. There's a couple named Bob and Sue. And Bob and Sue uh, had been married for uh, I don't know three or four years, and maybe longer than that, five or six. It had to be longer than that, five or six years, because they had two very small children, and uh, one was a special needs child, and. Uh, they were struggling, and uh, 
uh, as a couple. No one really knew about it, but they were struggling as a couple. And one of the one of their struggles that related to finances, and so Sue thought it'd be a good idea to get a a part time job. And uh, there was another man in this church, and we'll call him uh, Ed. And Ed was a an independent uh, insurance uh, agent, and he worked out of his home, and he needed some administrative uh, help. So Sue, uh, we all went to the same church. And Sue said, well, I, I have experience doing that, and I'd like to do that. Um, and I met with Bob and Sue, and I told them that uh, for what it was worth, I thought that was a very bad idea because he worked out of his home. His, he officed out of his home, and so she would be there uh, with him in his home alone. Um, it was probably six to seven months after she began working uh, for Ed that one night I got a call about one o'clock in the morning from Bob. And Bob was frantic. He said that Sue had not come home. This was before cell phones. Uh, Sue had not come home. He didn't know where she was, what to do. And I had this sneaking, this, this sneaking, sneaking suspicion in my heart of what had happened. And so me and another friend, I went and picked him up and we went over to Ed's house and sure enough, her car was parked out front. Long story short, uh, uh, they, had, they had been having an affair, and uh, I called Ed up in not one of my finer moments in life. Uh, I told him, I gave him one month to get out of town, or I would come over to his home and beat him severely about the head, neck, and shoulders. Uh, again, not one of my finer moments. Uh, he told me that, in fact, it, that, that he, they both felt this is something God had led them to, and I told him, if for no other reason for the children, um, he, he cannot do this. And he said, well, actually, it could be a good thing for kids because it could teach them that the only one they really can depend on is the Lord. And that's when I almost drove over there. Well, they got married. They, uh, Sue and um, or, uh, yeah, Sue and, and Bob got divorced. I'm keeping, trying to keep my name in. And Sue married Ed. And they moved to Colorado Springs. And uh, long and short, I, I, I found out what church they were attending. I heard what church they were attending. So I called the pastor and just let them know, you know, kind of what had happened. Uh, so I thought it would be important for the pastor to know this, the, the background of this. Um, what do you tell Bob? Uh, second one. Um, Joe and Sally. Joe was married, and he was uh, he was one of my youth workers. I was a youth pastor. He's one of my youth workers. And um, what's that? Okay, you like those names? Okay. Joe. He was one of my youth workers, and uh, he was married. And uh, again, they were having difficulties, and we were doing everything we can to intervene. His wife uh, continually uh, degraded into very bizarre behavior. Um, Probably I, uh, DSM five. What, what are we on DSM? I think twenty or think by now. So, you know, who knows what kind of uh, emotional issues she was dealing with? But she be, was becoming more and more erratic and and just bizarre in her behavior. And uh, make a long story short, she left. And uh, the last he heard, uh, she had gone to 
some friends to live with some friends in Houston. And um, he made uh, he spent probably a year and a half to two years to try to reconcile, and um, and she refused to, to reconcile and, and continued just to degrade and um, very bizarre behavior. Um, what do you tell him? What about the the husband who is chronically abusing his wife? Now, again, you know, we, we, we talk we can talk about emotional abuse, physical abuse. But, but um, what do you tell a what do you tell a wife whose husband beats her regularly and uh, no repentance, no remorse? Uh, what do you do there? What, what does she do there? What do you rec- what, what do you recommend to her? See, life is messy, it's complicated, and, and, and these things don't always fit neatly into tightly defined, clearly understood biblical categories. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Bible doesn't speak to these things, because I, I believe it does, but oftentimes life becomes so complicated that it, it's, not as, it's not as cut and dry as we would like for it to be oftentimes. And... Um, so let's let's examine the text because really that's where we need to go and, and to find our answers uh, as best we can. Um, Mark chapter ten, verse one. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife?" What did Moses command you, he replied. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Verse 1, it sounds like a mere travelogue, but it's important. When you read that Jesus left Capernaum and he went into the region of Judea across the Jordan, and this would have been what's called Perea or Perea. If, if, if you uh, imagine uh, northern, uh, the, the north part of Israel and then just south is Samaria, and Jews never traveled through Samaria, Jesus made an exception in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. But typically what they would do is they would cross over uh, the north and go down along the eastern side of the Jordan River and then come back across the Jordan into Jerusalem. So he's on the eastern side of the Jordan in, in Judea, and that's why I said beyond the Jordan. It's on the east side of the Jordan, which is also called Perea. And uh, anybody remember who, who, was, uh, who was the ruler of this region? Herod. Yeah. If you remember good old Herod. Um, and some people, again, he, he's with his disciples, and he's, he's been spending time with his disciples, and and, uh, and, and training them, and, and we see these, these three progressions, uh, these passion predictions, and then their, their misunderstanding as teaching and discipleship. 
And he's walking along and all of a sudden, he's, he's in Judea and Perea, and all of a sudden some Pharisees show up and they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, in modern day parlance, that would be called a really random question. Imagine all the questions they could have asked him. Why do you suppose, they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Turn back to John chapter, or Mark chapter 6. Let me remind us of what happened. John, or did I say John? Mark chapter 6. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6. Seventeen. For Herod himself, he's talking about John the Baptist, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It wasn't lawful for her to get divorced and marry you. So why do you think they asked the question while, while he was in Herod's territory, hey Jesus, what do you say about divorce? Yeah, they're they're hoping that Herod will hear about it and there will be the same results. Maybe we can get Herod to take care of this problem for us. Uh, We'll let Jesus go on record as being opposed to divorce and maybe uh, Herod will take his head as well. So this is not not for information. This is not sincere. Sincere. I believe, in fact, that this is an attempt to get him killed, as a matter of fact. But notice the question they asked. Is it lawful? Uh, in other words, they're saying, is this something we can do lawfully? Now, the answer in early in, in Jesus' day would have depended upon what rabbi you followed. There were two primary schools of, of thought re- relative to divorce in Israel. One rabbi taught that it was very restrictive and said that, and these were these were. These were, uh, these were the rabbis who were on TV, and everybody followed them and believed everything they said. So the first rabbi was very restricted, says for adultery only. It's only lawful for adultery. <clears throat> Another rabbi said, no, you can pretty much divorce for any and every reason. It's just up to the man. And in fact, that's really kind of what we have today. We have people who are very restrictive on divorce, and then others who are, you can get divorced for any and every reason. Nothing really has changed. This was the same, same uh, thing that we had in Jesus' day. Uh, turn uh, with me back to Mark or Matthew chapter 19. We're going to now be kind of going back and forth between Mark's account and Matthew's account. Matthew 19, because Mark leaves out a his account. He left out a, a, a phrase that Matthew included that Jesus said. Matthew 19 verse 3. They said, is it lawful for man to divorce his wife? What? For any and every reason. And then that was, in fact, the predominant view in Israel, by the way. Most men liked that. Um, divorce was rampant in Jesus' day. You know, we, we, we talk about how, you know, the high rates of divorce in America. It was nothing compared to first century Israel. It was not uncommon for Israeli men, Jewish men, to be have been married and divorced four or five times. Uh, and they, the reason is, is because most followed 
the teaching of the rabbi who said you can in fact get divorced for any and every reason. And they say they get it from Deuteronomy chapter 24. So now turn back to Deuteronomy 24. And you'll see the difficulty. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Verse 1. And our translations may be a little different, but they all all should be pretty close. If a man marries a woman who becomes what? Displeasing. To him, because he finds something indecent about her. And he writes to her, writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if she leaves his house and she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. This would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God and give you an inheritance. Well, what does it say? If he finds something indecent about her, it's displeasing to him. So, these rabbis interpreted that as, well, if she burns the toast, that's displeasing to me. Um, in fact, it got so bad that all a man had to do was to say, uh, we're divorced, we're divorced, we're divorced, and they were divorced. And they would go and, and, and write what was called a certificate of divorce. Needless to say, this created a, 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 a real victimhood. Um, I mentioned her earlier, but in John chapter 4... We have the, the story of the, the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember this story? Hopefully, man, hopefully this will take on a new meaning and understanding for you. Now that you understand the, 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 how they viewed divorce and remarriage. John chapter 4. Remember Jesus meets her at the well, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to come keep drawing here to, coming here to draw water. And he told her, Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. And what does she say? I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. Was she a... Was she a floozy? Jumping in and out of marriages? No, she was a victim. Five times a man had kicked her to the curb. Five times she'd been found displeasing to her husband and kicked out of the house. And finally she said, I get married. In most cases, although apparently there were cases of of women divorcing men, it was almost always a man divorcing a woman, and a woman had no recourse, no legal recourse. And, and, and in Mark 10, you know, they talk about this certificate of divorce. And this, this was really Moses' way, the law, a way of protecting, at least protecting the woman to a certain extent. So that uh, otherwise, if there was no certificate of divorce, if there was no formal uh, proof that she had been married, legally married, uh, she would be considered an adulteress. And what was the prescription for adultery? Stoned to death. So this... Jesus saying, Moses, Moses did this 
because of your hardness of heart, it was to protect the innocent party in, in, in this rampant uh, culture of divorce. At least, it, at least she wouldn't be stoned to death. Matthew, in his account, he talks. He, he, he almost switches the, uh, the, the, the the notion of whether it's, it was commanded or permitted. But clearly, Mark or Jesus, Jesus' words in, in the Gospel of Mark is he's saying that that this was granted by concession. Um, divorce was never commanded. It was never commended. But he he wrote these prescriptions because of the the, the, the hard, sinful heart of men, and and it and it, it enabled and controlled this sinful practice and and. And sometimes we have a hard time with that. We want Jesus to say, no, stop doing that. It's sin. It's wrong. Stop doing that. So we have to wrestle with that. There's a lot of other things in the Bible I wish it had been stronger on. But it doesn't appear to be. So what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't say that. He really goes back to... The beginning, if you back in Mark chapter 10. Verse 6. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And, and this is Jesus' answer to this question. Is it, is it lawful? Um, several things I think that we see here. First of all, um, we see here the, the, create, the, the creation where they were created, we were created male and female. Um, you don't get to pick your gender. You are either male or you are female. Marriage was designed for one man and one woman because he said, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So we have... Male and female, not male and male, not female and female, not binary, I don't know what all these different transgenders are. That's not marriage. It is a misnomer. Homosexual marriage is is a misnomer. There's no such thing. He talks about leaving, becoming a new family in one flesh, not just physical intimacy, but in God's eyes. And in verse 9, he says it's permanent. What God has joined together, let no one separate. So it's one man, one woman, becoming one flesh for life. That's, that is the biblical teaching on marriage. So, divorce, he says, was never part of God's original design. It was never commended. He not once to ever see God commending it, nor did he command it. However, an interesting, an interesting tidbit, uh, if, you, if, you, if you were to, those of us who went through Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, this is Yahweh speaking. God said, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce. And sent her away because of her adulteries. 
So God even uses the metaphor of how he treated Israel, unfaithful, idolatrous Israel, that he divorced them. And yet, that's not how it was designed. So how do we make sense of this? Both are, are the, 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 these are, divorce and remarriage are, are permitted as a gracious concession to sinful humanity. Well, needless to say, the disciples once again were amazed. In verse 10, they were in the house again. The disciples asked Jesus about this. and He said, uh, again, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Well, Matthew, Matthew's account, he gives us an exception to that that Mark did not include, interestingly enough. Mark wanted to get to the... He, he zeroed in on what Jesus said in terms of the, the basic idea. But Matthew includes what we call now clause the famous exception clause. Verse 9, Matthew 19.9. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Why do you think adultery would be one of the exceptions to staying married? Why? Of all the sins that he could have why adultery? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why was, in, in terms of what Jesus said in Matthew 19.9, this exception, why adultery? Why not murder? Why isn't it? you ever asked yourself that question? I think it goes back to the original, at, at the time, what was the, what was the prescription for adultery? Death. So they'd be free to remarry. So here's my theory. Just then my theory. My theory is that one of the exceptions is adultery because uh, as a gracious concession to the, uh, to, to, to the innocent party getting stoned or the, the, the party who sins getting stoned, um, they were able to remarry because under normal circumstances they would have because that person would have been dead. Do you see my point? So rather than not stoning that person to death, they were allowed a certificate of divorce to allow them to remarry. Take that for what it's worth. It is an exception, though. He says, except for sexual immorality. And, 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 and it's not just fornication. It's, it's porneia. Any kind of illicit sexual activity um, it seems to be an exception. But are there any others? That's really where the debate lies. Because the, the, no one really debates whether adultery is an exception to uh, you know, this uh, one man, one woman for a lifetime. Well, there are a lot of different views. Let me give you five different views in the church over this issue of divorce and remarriage. One says you're never allowed to divorce, never allowed to remarry. Even though there is an exception, it is always wrong to get divorced and always wrong to get remarried. Another view says, no, you're permitted, an innocent party is permitted to divorce for adultery, but they can't remarry. They have to stay single for the rest of their lives. A third view is someone can get a divorce and remarry for adultery only. And they, they, grammatically, Matthew 19.9, it, it can go either way. But they say, you no, know, a person can get divorced and remarry in the cases of adultery. A fourth view is that, no, a person can get divorced and get remarried for adultery and a few other reasons, which I'll go over in a minute. 
And then the fifth, really the fifth view is that you can get divorced from marriage for just about any reason you want. Now, I almost don't even want to include that as the church because this would be more liberal side of, this would be like a lot of the mainline denominational views of, uh, of divorce and remarriage. So it means curious to know where you fell in that. Never divorced, never remarried. Divorced for adultery, but never can't remarry. Divorce and remarriage for adultery only. Divorce and remarriage for adultery and a couple others. Or five, divorce and remarriage for a variety of reasons. Uh, I am, just to let you know, I am in group four. I believe that a person would be permitted to both divorce and remarry for adultery, certainly, but also for two other uh, causes. One would be abandonment. And the third would be abuse. And I get that from 1 Corinthians 7. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, he's talking about in marriage, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Verse 15. If they leave, if they abandon, you are not bound in such circumstances. Now, Again, some say, well, this was a very specific, it's only in a very specific case, and that is if there was an unbeliever involved. And and my response to that is, Paul's letter to Corinth was to address a very a specific question, so he's answering that specific question, but I believe the principle would still apply. And then, what about abuse? Essentially, uh, I, I, would, I would put abuse under abandonment because... I would hope none of us would ever advise a woman who is a wife who is being physically abused in the home that God's word tells her to stay in that home and, and to take a licking. Either she or he would be removed from the home, again, which I, which I would consider to be a form of, uh, of abandonment. Hey, you, you, I'm cer- certain some of you disagree. That's fine. That's fine. We have to wrestle with these things. We have, we have to wrestle through 1 Corinthians 7. We have to wrestle with Matthew, Mark 10, Matthew 19. I argue a basic principle from a specific case in Corinth um, of abandonment. It really, in no uh, conservative evangelical tradition do, does anybody really hold that you, one can get divorced for irreconcilable differences or, or we're just not getting along um, I made a mistake um, that, 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 uh, this is really not a view that's predominant in evangelicalism so really in evangelical church we have one of two camps and that is adultery only or adultery which would include desertion abandonment and abuse uh, again, Mark chapter 10 is not very satisfying because it, it really doesn't go into a lot of specifics. What does it mean in this? How would it be applied in this case, in this case? In fact, Mark doesn't even give 
the exception clause that, that Matthew records. Let, let me suggest, guys, some, a few things here this morning as it relates to, to, to divorce. At the very least, the, 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 biblical, the biblical reasons for a, a biblical divorce are very few, whether it's one or two. I, I say two because I, I include abandonment with abuse, but if you want to say three, three, very, very few. So if, in fact, we, 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 we held to that, I doubt that our divorce rate would be so high in the church. So even granting the most liberal view in, in the evangelical church, um, it, the, the divorce would, would be few and far between. In fact, my first point here is divorce really should be eliminated from our vocabulary. When, when I do uh, premarital counseling, um, I, I tell them that, that this is not an option. Divorce is not an option. You have to go into a marriage understanding that divorce is not an option. It, it needs to be eliminated from our vocabulary. It is neither commanded nor is it commended. It's conceded in a few cases. But divorce really should be very rare. Number two is all, all reasonable attempts, and I know that we can disagree over what's reasonable, all reasonable attempts for reconciliation should be made before divorce and before remarriage. Again, we can argue over what's, what's reasonable. If someone is abandoned or deserted, how much time is reasonable for reconciliation? One year, two years? Ten years? Twenty years? Well, some of you would say never. So we have to... All reasonable attempts need to be made at reconciliation. Um, let me go back to that, that first case study. So, um, they get divorced, she remarries. It, it was an unbiblical divorce. It's a, it was an unbiblical remarriage. What do you advise her now? To divorce... This husband and go back to her first husband? Is that a biblical? Will that be a biblical divorce? <laughs> no. Uh, so here's, here's what it needs to be rare. All reasonable attempts, certainly when a divorced spouse remarries, uh, reconciliation at that point has ended and they've remarried because otherwise they'd have to get another divorce to come back. Three. Um, what if someone, in that case, was wrongfully divorced and or wrongfully remarried? How do, we, how do we handle this? How should we handle that? How should they handle that? Listen, um, we handle it like we do any other sin. Now, I'm not suggesting... I mean, the, the ramifications of divorce are much greater than many other sins we would commit because other people are involved. And quite frankly, any sin we commit, usually more people are involved than just us. But, but this is not the unpardonable sin. Jesus doesn't say they live in perpetual adultery if they get divorced for an unbiblical reason. But it seems to me that, that, that if they were wrongfully divorced and wrongfully remarried, that they ought to confess that and repent of that. It's not an unpardonable sin. It's in, in, that, in that sense, it's not any different... Than any other sin. If you live in, if you have un- unconfessed sin in your life, that's a problem. It's 
So I would say that, that, that you, you don't get another divorce. You confess that what you did was wrong, that it was sinful, and quite frankly, ask the forgiveness of those whom you wronged. We do this with any other sin. Divorce is not, you know, the... the, the what's the... I can't believe it. I, I had Shakespeare in college. Uh, what's the mark? Out damned spot. Oh, I said... <laughs> See, that's Shakespeare, and that's how we can say dirty words and, and not be dirty. Damned. Out damned spot. You know, okay. The, 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 the crimson, it wasn't a crimson mark, a stain that they have to carry around. Listen, I think, I think things have changed a lot in the church. Not all for the good, but, but there was a time when I was growing up where a divorced person really was ashamed of it. And, and they hung their heads in shame. And, and, they, and they didn't want anybody to know. They're not second-class citizens in the church. This isn't the unpardonable sin. Yes, it has, in most cases, devastating emotional impact. Um, but but it, it, they don't live in perpetual adultery. Neither do I live in perpetual sin in terms of individual acts of sin. So num- Number four, four is, while it may be lawful, even if it is because of adultery, even though it, it is permitted in that case, doesn't mean that it's preferable. Now, this is, this is where it put, places a lot of pressure on what I would call the innocent party. Um, not innocent in the sense that they've never done anything wrong in the marriage, but I mean the other partner who is, who is initiating the divorce or the other partner who has committed adultery. Yes, you would be permitted to go down to the courthouse and file the divorce papers. I go back to number two. I, I think, though, that all attempts need to be made at reconciliation. All reasonable attempts. What's reasonable? What's reasonable to one person may not be reasonable to another person. And we need to give grace. We need to give grace. Because that's... We, we're, we're not... We're not in that situation. We don't know all that's been going on. But I would advise that person to, you know, um, give it some time. Uh, allow God to change your heart because obviously there's brokenness, there's anger, there's all, I can imagine, all the things that are going on. Give it time. Pray. Seek reconciliation. Get the church involved. Uh, if, if these are members of a church, uh, a church should get involved, especially with the, with the guilty party. Which leads to number five, and that is that if there is potential trouble in your marriage, you need to get help. You need to let others know. Uh, the church needs to get involved. We as a church need to get involved. Any church needs to get involved in any marriage. that Because oftentimes a couple knows and knows their, their marriage is in trouble, unless they are completely blind to it. Um, it may be lawful, but may not be preferable. But if it, if there is trouble, uh, get others involved. Be honest with yourselves, and, and be honest with others. So get back to Mark chapter ten. What did Jesus basically tell them? They they were trying to trap him into coming down. Uh, they probably uh, assumed that he would come down on on uh, uh, being way too restrictive, um, and in fact he did. He was. Jesus certainly sided with. 
the rabbi who said for adultery only. Um, uh, but he phrased it in a way in terms of what God's word had said, what, how God designed it from the beginning. And the focus is not on what is lawful for me to end it, but what is it that God has designed it to be. But we're sinful creatures. We like to think that all of our relationships are, are ideal and, and that, that I always act uh, as an ideal Christian husband and my wife always acts and lives as an ideal Christian wife. Uh, that ain't the world we live in. And God has given us some gracious pr- concessions um, uh, to give us hope and a way to move forward. Uh, finally, let me just say this. And again, and I know that this is not, this is not from exegesis, not from a text, so I, I, I don't hold it to the same kind of, uh, of standard. But, but I look at the fruit uh, of some of these cases that I've, that I've been a part of or, or I've known of. Um, and I look at the fruit of afterwards, and I think that gives me an indication, too, um, that God is a gracious, forgiving God, where, where even in the case where someone was divorced unbiblically, God, they, get, they got remarried, and God gave them a, a, a wonderful husband, a wonderful wife, and a beautiful family, and they're walking with the Lord. Um, and, I, and I look at the, 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 the fruit that, that, that occurs even in the midst of divorce, so if someone is divorced or is, you know, in this situation, God grants hope and a future forward. Uh, and and I, I look at the many lives of people I've seen who have gotten divorced and remarried, uh, even in the case of unbiblical reasons. And God has graciously provided a new spouse and a beautiful family. Doesn't mean that it was okay. Just means we have a gracious, loving, heavenly father who doesn't, put a divorced person in the penalty box. But here, hockey fans, you don't get it put in the penalty box forever. Uh, he's gracious and forgiving and will grant new life. And uh, don't, don't despair. Um, uh, it's, it's not the impartable sin. Let's pray. Father, these are uh, really sobering words and a sobering issue, and it just comes at such a random place that Jesus was walking towards Jerusalem. Um, Father, we need to, again, we need to be careful. I need to be careful. We all need to be careful that we don't uh, lower your standards. Uh, On the other hand, we need to be careful not to become too too restrictive, that we wrestle with this, that we... Uh, we wrestle with the, with the pastoral application of this in people's lives. Um, Father, may whatever the case, may all that we do be done with grace and understanding. And uh, uh, Father, that you would grant us great wisdom in navigating uh, the many different scenarios that people find themselves in, um, in, in, in a world that is... Uh, that is racked with sin and, uh, and disobedience. So, Father, we, we thank you that the fact that marriage was not designed to be jumped in and out of at, at our whim, that it was meant to be, it was designed to be permanent, one man for one woman for a lifetime, and that that is where we find, indeed, uh, the greatest security, the greatest satisfaction. Uh, that is your design for family. Uh, Lord, but we recognize that that because of sin and hardness of heart, uh, things go haywire. Give us great, uh, again, great wisdom 
and, and lots of grace to, uh, to figure out in each individual case what needs to be done. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And uh, I pray that we as a church would continue to uh, seek after you uh, in, in all that that means uh, in this very crazy time. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you. Have a blessed week. You are dismissed.